Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Fifth Mask. Brother, am I glad to see you. You are Philip Marlowe. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm Marlowe. Well, come on in. You're, uh, not exactly what I expected, Phil. No? Mm-mm. I didn't realize private detectives came in the deluxe edition. You'd like a drink, wouldn't you? Now, look, when you called me a few minutes ago, it was strictly panic because your life was in danger, Miss Barr. Vivian now you... will do, Phil. Yeah, well, okay, Vivian. What's happened in the meantime? Happened? Nothing. Why? Well, you seem pretty well balanced for somebody on the edge of being a homicide statistic. I'm doing my best to hang on to myself, that's all. Oh. But now that you're here, I can breathe again. You just sit down, won't you, over there? I'll fix the drinks. Uh-huh. We're going to get along fine, Phil, I can tell. Yeah, well, could be. There. Now we can be more comfortable. Your health, Phil. Your health is supposed to be the point, baby. You said a man threatened your life. Yes, a man named Fred Sears. A character I used to know. He was hurt in a hotel fire six months ago. Oh. <laughs> Must have been his head. He thinks he wants to kill me, and he's come to town to do it. But now that you're here... I, uh, I suppose he's got reasons, huh? Do they matter? Yeah, yeah. To me, at least. I like to know which end of the stick is short before I grab. Well, I'm not even sure myself. I only knew Sears briefly. Here, here's his picture, Marlowe. Mm -hmm. Oh, the whole affair was stupid. So you brought it to me instead of the police, huh? I brought it to you because I need private help, and I'm willing to pay for it. Pay very well, I might add. Oh, look, Phil, you don't have to bother about the reasons why. Just see that Fred Sears leaves me alone tonight. It shouldn't be hard. Is your drink all right? Delicious. Too bad I can't stay and finish it. What? Oh, Marla, wait. You mean you won't help me? Not on guesswork, baby. But don't you realize my life's in danger? I'm scared. Oh, sure, sure. Speechless. <laughs> you can get yourself another boy, Vivian. Woods are full of guys with no curiosity at all. Oh, Marla, please be reasonable. Good night, baby. I had no doubt that a guy named Fred Sears wanted to kill Vivian Barr And that she was genuinely afraid of him But I also had no doubt that working for her without all the facts Was like playing blind man's buff with the front end of a jet plane Sooner or later you were a cinch to get sucked in So I drove off the hill toward the Sunset Strip again And prepared to forget it and go home until my rearview mirror told me that I'd picked up a tail. I wagged it back and forth across Hollywood for 20 minutes without losing it. Then I stopped at a quiet corner bar in my neighborhood, went in the front door and straight on through to the alley and then around to the front again. I got back in time to see the man who'd been following me get out of his car and head for the door. It was one Mutt Pomeroy, a sleazy ex-comrade in arms who had his private license revoked for assorted malpractices a year ago. I waited till he was almost up to the entrance before I stepped out where he could see me. I... Oh, 
Well, Phil Marlowe. <laughs> what do you say, kid? How, uh, how's business? I keep smiling. Sure, sure you would. Uh, buy a drink, I don't suppose. What's on your crummy little mind? Take it Let's e have it. Easy, Marlowe. Take the hands off. What's <laughs> the right. idea? You've been tailing me just to keep in practice. What do you want? Okay, okay, hot shot. I figured maybe you'd appreciate a little cooperation. For instance, you tell me why Vivian Barr wants a private peeper, and I'll tell you something more than worth your while. Well? I thought your license was dead, Pomeroy. Yeah, it is, but I'm not. I still got eyes and ears and a mouth that I like to keep well fed. Now, look, I can help you plenty in this case, Marlowe. What do you say, kid? Get together? I didn't take the case. You're what? That's right. If I catch you tailing me once more mud, I'll tie a can to you. Now beat it. Yeah, well, let me know when you need a hand, Marlowe. Right across your kisser. Ah, be it ever so humble. Oh, no. Hello, Marlowe speaking. Oh, Phil, I've been calling ever since you left. This is Vivian Barr. Now, look, baby, oh, I told Marlo, you... Oh, listen to me. I've got to have your help. I'll tell you the truth, all of it. Anything you want to know, only come back, please. Oh, will you listen? I'm trying uh, to tell I've you. I've seen someone outside here, Marlowe. I'm almost sure it's Fred Sears. Hurry, will you? I'll tell you everything. Hurry. Three things I can never resist. Beer with a head on it, moonlight, and a beautiful dame. So I headed again for the parking terrace at Vivian's apartment house and made it in about 15 minutes. I was out of my car and halfway across the terrace before I noticed the changes. First, her apartment was dark. Second, a man who had just pulled a key from a front door lock froze when he saw me and then turned and bolted through a clump of hibiscus and cornered himself in an enclosed patio. He tried to make it over the wall, but the second time he fell back, I nailed him! No, no, please, let me go. I gotta get away from You're here. You're trying it the hard way, Buster, believe me. It'll be easier by way of Vivian's apartment first. Come on, on your feet! Oh, who are you? I'm Douglas Peck. Douglas what? Just Douglas. Okay, just Douglas. We'll also straighten that one out inside. Go on, open the door. No, I... It's locked. Sure, sure it's locked. Take the keys out of your pocket and unlock it. Hurry up. Who are you? Name's Marlowe. Go on inside. No, no, please, Marlowe. Listen, I... I can't go in there again. What's the matter? Afraid of the dark? Go on! Turn on the light. All right, then, all right? There. Vivian Barr's eyes were still open. But all the life had gone out of them. She'd slid half off the blue velvet divan onto the floor, and a gleaming gold satin she wore was stained red by a dark, stiffening smear on her chest. Her purse was open on the coffee table, and spilled out of it was a note. Addressed, Dear Vivian, and signed Fred Sears. What is it, Marlowe? What are you looking at? One good reason why Vivian Barr ended up like that. Here, read it. Dear Vivian, the broken back you handed me six months ago wasn't as hard to take as the broken promises. Count on seeing me real soon. Fred Sears. Yeah. Now, Douglas, the digress, assuming you didn't kill her, and it was this Sears, what was your connection? Well, I've, I was just a friend of hers. Business associate. Well-heeled business associate, judging by your wardrobe. She mentioned your type, but not your name. Let's get on with that, shall we? Marlo, listen, I... I had no idea that Vivian was mixed up in it. Marlo, look. Huh? There at the window at Sears. Kill the light. Keep down, Douglas. I'll be right back. Sears ducked as I ran for the door, and when I got outside, he was rounding the corner and heading for the enclosed patio. He was up on the wall by the time I got close enough to grab for him. No, you don't. Why? His foot caught me in the side of the head. I wound up on my back with nothing but the torn-off pocket from his jacket in my hand and a crumpled pack of cigarettes and... 
a slip of paper on the ground with a phone number. I picked it up and started back to Vivian's apartment in time to hear a car door slam and see just Douglas scared stiff crouched behind the steering wheel of a step-down Hudson. Second later, car and all were gone in a funnel of dust. Well, I couldn't lose much more, so I went back into the house to use the phone. Los Angeles Morning Star. Society editor, please. One moment. Okay. Society desk, Miss Ludlow speaking. Hiya, Corey. Phil Marlowe. Phil, darling, how are you? <laughs> Gee, it's been a long time, mister. I haven't seen you since... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, look, honey, I need some fast help. Crashing somebody's party, Marlowe? Could be, but it's strictly business. Now, can you give me a rundown on a phone number? Crestview 54124. 54124? Yeah. Just a minute, lover. Okay, sweetie. Oh, yeah, Phil. That's the old J.G. McKay mansion. 910 Mission Drive. Uh -huh. His niece, Celia McKay, has the place now. She married up with a guy named Paxton last fall, I think. She has oodles of money. Any help? I'll let you know. Thanks a lot, baby. <laughs> Before I left, I called Lieutenant Matthews at Homicide and told him what happened. He said he'd put out a call for Fred Sears and suggested I keep in touch. After that, I drove to Beverly Hills. The McKay Mansion at 910 Mission Drive dominated the rows of bowing trees that lined the long, curving driveway like a dowager queen presiding at court. When I rang the bell beside a carved mahogany front door big enough for an airplane hangar, it was the butler who finally opened it for me. <laughs> it was all he could manage. Yes, sir. My name's Marlowe. I'm a private detective. I'd like to see the head of the house, please. Uh, have you an appointment, sir? No, this is a courtesy call so far. There's been a murder, Buster. Now, please get Mr. Paxton, Celia McKay, Paxton, or any reasonable facsimile thereof, huh? Never mind, Cartwright. You can run along. I'll take care of this, whatever it is. She was uh, friendly, red-headed and hefty, but wore a dress so well-draped it would have made a Notre Dame tackle look good. It was all held together at the neckline by a big dazzling brooch made up of items on a Mardi Gras motif and each covered with enough jewels to retire a family of five. Except for a space in the center, shaped like a mask which was dull, black, and empty. I must have been staring because that's where she picked up the conversation. If you've finished making your estimate now, Mr. Marlowe, maybe we can get down to business. I'm that reasonable facsimile you mentioned, Mona Paxton, Celia's sister-in-law. Oh? And Mr. Paxton's your brother, huh? Same thing. Yeah, well... You said something about a murder, I believe? Mm, that's right. A woman named Vivian Barr. And is that supposed to mean something to the members of this household? Maybe we'd better ask them. I don't think so, Mr. Marlowe. We're all quite busy here. Now, look, Mona, I followed a lead that started at the body of a dead woman, ended here at this house. You people can talk to me now or the police. In a few minutes. Make up your mind, fast. Police? What about the police? Mona, what is this? Excuse me, my dear. I'm sorry. I'd hoped you wouldn't be bothered by the... By Mr. Marlowe here. In his opinion, we're all murderers or something. I see. And why do you say that, Mr. Marlowe? I don't. It isn't quite that bad. Then specifically, how bad is it, if you don't mind? I don't mind at all. I'm looking for a man named Fred Sears in connection with the killing of my client, Vivian Barr. I'm here because there's a definite tie with somebody in this house. Now, at this point, I'm still asking for cooperation. This has gone far enough. It's preposterous. Mr. Marlowe, until you mentioned their names, I'd never heard of either of those people. Mona? No. They're still my husband, Mr. Marlowe. Dear, will you come out to the door, please? What's going on? What's the matter? There's a person here I want you to meet. Mr. Marlowe, my husband, Mr. Paxton. Why, how, how do you do, Mr. Marlowe? I'm doing better, Mr. Paxton. Oh. Douglas, Mr. Marlowe here wants to know if the names Vivian Barr or Fred Sears mean anything to you. Why, I, 
I don't think so. No. Well, they don't. Why? You may leave now, Mr. Marlowe. We've given you all the cooperation we can. If you come back, you'd better have a warrant with you. Okay, Celia, I will. Because one of you three is a liar. And I can prove it. So if you want to talk it over before I call in the cops, I'll listen for a while. Hey, Cartwright. Yes, sir? You called, sir? Yeah, you look like a fairly honest man. Where can I get a good cup of public coffee around here? Oh, why, there's, there's a little shop two blocks down, sir. Thanks. And to you, Cartwright, good night. In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Sunday, September 10th. Note it well, or you'll miss a whole lot of laughs. For that's the day Jack Benny checks in again at CBS The Star's address. Yes, this Sunday is the day Jack, Mary, Dennis, Phil, Don, and Rochester return for another great season of top-ranking comedy. Be sure you're on hand this Sunday and every Sunday when CBS brings you the one and only Jack Benny Show. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe, and tonight's story, The Fifth Mask. In the two-ton front door of the Paxton home closed behind me, I drop the cocky attitude quicker than a chorus girl lets her stay I'll go when she hits the wings. I knew that I was still a long way from finding Fred Sears. And ten minutes later, when I was in a corner booth at the plush Beverly Hills version of a one-armed joint Cartwright had suggested, I began to worry about it. Until the front door swung open and admitted Mrs. Celia McKay Paxton. She threw a stern eye in a sharp semicircle that nearly sliced the place in two and then bore it down on me. Mr. Marlowe, I want to talk to you. What do you mean by... Why don't by... you sit down, Mrs. Paxton? Well, I... Very well. Now, Mr. Marlowe... Coffee, Mrs. Paxton? No, no, thank you. Mm. Mr. Marlowe, specifically, what did you mean when you said that one of the three of us was lying? Specifically that, Mrs. Paxton. I don't think I could have been more blunt, but I'll try. I'm after Fred Sears and anybody or anything that can lead me to him. Now, you. Why are you here, Mrs. Paxton? Well, it's, uh... Mr. Marlowe, it, uh... Hard to say, maybe? Hard like I'm suspicious of my husband's connection with all this, Mr. Private Detective. Will you go to work for me? Is that it? Oh, no. No, not that. Mm -hmm. But, Mr. Marlowe, I'm no fool. I know that I'm a plain-looking rich woman who loves her husband. And I... (laughs) Well, sometimes men are silly. And if there is anything, I... Mrs. Paxton... I can't go to work for you. I don't take that kind of a job. Besides, I'm already working on your problem insofar as it concerns the late Vivian Barr. I don't understand that. You say you're looking for Fred Sears. But not overlooking anything else, Mrs. Paxton. Like the outside chance that Sears didn't kill Vivian Barr. I didn't see it happen, you know. It could have been somebody else. Who? You. But I... After all, you just implied a good motive. No. No, I I didn't. I... I only gave you a suspicion... A dark, ugly thought I'm ashamed I ever had. That's all. And I didn't kill that woman, Mr. Marlowe. I know you didn't. It was only bait, Mrs. Paxton. I hope you'd snap at it and come back with an answer that would get me to Sears. Mr. Marlowe, I never heard of these people before tonight. I know, that's what you said. But you see, Mrs. Paxton, even as you, I too sometimes have dark, ugly thoughts that I'm ashamed of. Only in my case, it's business. And tonight, the business is Vivian Barr's murder. Good night, Mrs. Paxton. 
Hello? Comfortable, Mr. Paxton? Marlow, please. My wife may see us. Get in and drive away. Hurry. All right. Just for size, hurry it is. Now, Marlow, tell me. Does Celia know? About Vivian? Hard to say, Paxton. Look, I've got to tell you the truth. Don't bother, man, about town. It sticks out like a sore thumb on a hitchhiker. You like it easy, you like it smooth. Your wife was one, Vivian the other. It's not a new story, Paxton. But believe me, Marlow, I couldn't help myself. I've learned my lesson. Marlow, would money, say... $50 now, more later. Would that help you forget what you know? 50 bucks? Well? <laughs> you didn't love Vivian Barr. You hated her, didn't you? I hated... How did you know that? A cheap bribe you just made. Indiscreet gentlemen with their backs against the wall don't offer peanuts now and more later unless they're broke. You could be broke, Paxton. If, for example, Vivian was blackmailing you out of every cent of your allowance, good enough? She was rotten. Rotten enough to kill? Kill? Are you crazy? My lord was Sears. Maybe. I didn't see him do it. You had a good reason. He had a better one. Sears was taken in just like I was. When he met Vivian, he had a few thousand dollars, and she fell in love with every one of them. You said a better reason, Paxton. And I'm getting to it. I came into Vivian's life after Sears was hurt saving her in that hotel fire. Saving her? Yes. I didn't know that. I thought he was hurt, period. Yes, that's all the papers got. But he was injured because he rushed into the fire to save Vivian. She couldn't afford to have it known that she was at that particular hotel at that particular time. She told me so herself. You didn't quit even then, huh? I couldn't, Marlowe. I wasn't strong enough. And then later, when I was, she wouldn't let me. Not without paying. And that's the whole story, Marlo. Mm -hmm. Unless you're still holding back a lead on Sears. But why should I? Because if you're it, Paxton, not Sears, you've nothing left but the slim hope that Sears, who knows he's framed, will be shot running away from the police. No, you're wrong, Marlo. That's not it. All right, then try this. If I'm wrong and Sears is still the one we want, he could also be after you, Paxton. You know, you're a pivot man in that triangle, too. What? Why? I never thought of that. What am I going to do? Grab a cab and go home and hide in the cookie jar. Marlo, don't be facetious. My life Relatively is... safe, Paxton. He's only trying to trick you into spilling something on Sears. Oh. Then you no longer think that I killed Vivian? I didn't say that. So long, Paxton. My apartment was only a few minutes from Beverly Hills, so I decided to call the police and fill them in. Also, a little all-alone straight drinking might burn the bad taste out of my mouth. But when I was in the hall there, I knew it was going to be a little while before I got a chance to do either one. After all, there was still a Paxton to go, Mona, the lady with the beautiful Mardi Gras brooch, and the not-so-beautiful mind for business. I've been waiting for you, Mr. Marlowe. That figures. Come on in. I'll get the lights. You don't seem surprised you expected me. Yeah, as much as the others. Already huddled with your brother and your sister-in-law. Have a seat. No, thanks. Mr. Marlowe, I'm going to come right to the point. That's a switch. Want a drink? No. Do you want $1,000? Mr. Marlowe, I said... I heard you. Yeah. Also, Miss Paxton, I've heard a lot tonight about all I can take. I'll make it fast, will you? All right. The 1000 is yours, Mr. Marlowe, if you'll do one thing. When you catch up with this Sears, if you haven't already done so... I haven't. Keep my brother's name out of this, that's all. Well, it's a little too much. Also, you're a little easy, Mona. Your brother isn't worth covering up for. That's not news, and it's beside the point. The thousand is to help me, not him. I've spent five very difficult years getting the rights to a cosmetic formula that can't be beat. The point, Mona, the point. All right, the point, Mr. Marlowe, is that all I need now is backing. Just yesterday, I got the promise of it. $150,000 worth of promise from my sister-in-law, Mrs. Celia McKay Paxton. And I'll lose that promise, Marlowe. 
Celia gives my brother his walking papers, and she will if she finds him out. Will you take the money, Marlowe? No. Nor will I go out of my way to whisper in Celia's ear. You're practically safe, Mona. Practically? Who else is there? Sears. The police take him alive. There's a good chance to make a lot of embarrassing statements about your brother killing his girl and... You expect someone? Oh. Unless the police are tired of waiting to hear from me. I shouldn't be seen here. Not if you're going to keep Doug's name out of this. Easy, honey. Get in there. The kitchen. Oh, yes. Thanks, Marlowe. Thanks a lot. Okay, coming. Keep your shirt on. I... Oh, no. Yeah, well, didn't expect to see little old Mutt Pomeroy so soon again, eh, kid? Mind if I come in? Very much. What do you want, Pomeroy? To show my wares, Phil boy. You know, like the jewel tea man. Skip the funnies. What is it? Fred Sears. I know where he is. You sure about that? Sure, like I don't take $3 bills. I followed him tonight when he got away from you. All right, come in. Hey. Nice place, Phil. What's your price, Mutt? 200. I'll pay one, the address. The money. Okay. Here. 15, 16, 80, 90, 90, 90. 100. Yeah. Thanks, Phil, boy. Thanks. The address says 31 Bayfront Drive, Santa Monica. It's an all alone beach joint, kind of neat. Belongs to a friend of Sears who's out of town. Oh, he's using his car, too. I overheard him explaining to a neighbor. Yeah. Good night, Marlo. See you around, huh, kid? Mm. Oh, uh, Pomeroy. Yeah. What is it, Phil? Two questions. Uh-huh. First? Your connection with all this, what is it? Oh, a hunch that I could pick up a little extra. You see, I spotted Pex and I with that Vivian babe once, and well, I knew who he was. Also, I knew who his wife was, so I figured... Yeah, I know how you figured. Okay, but you said two questions, kid. The other. This! <coughs> Whatever made you think I do business with a louse like you! Unconscious? Yeah. You ever saw you here? Your mailbox will get nothing but extortion notes for the next six months. He'll get out now. All right, Marlowe, but won't he ruin everything anyway? Don't worry, Mona. I'll convince him one way or another. Yeah. Let's see now. Hey, Marlowe, you cross me. Sure, I'll do it every time, Pomeroy. We're conflicting personalities. Police headquarters. I'd like to speak to Detective Lieutenant Matt. Holy cow. Hello. Police headquarters. Hello. Never mind. Pomeroy, that little hunk of jewelry there on the rug. Just fell out of your pocket when I frisked you, didn't it? Didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, sure it did. So what? So before I beat you senseless, get up and tell me where you got it. Come on, where'd you oh, lift it? Hey, Come on, Pomeroy. Get your hands off. All right. I found it at that Vivian Bar's joint. It was on the floor and it sparkled like dough. She was dead, so I figured it might as Thanks, well... Thanks, Pomeroy. You tell me all I want to know. Don't wait up. Much. <laughs> Outside, I piled into my car and drove fast for the beach house at 31 Bayfront Drive, hoping hard all the way that either I was making a fat mistake or if I was right, I was going to be on time. All told, it was about 40 minutes later when I screeched to a stop in front of the place and found it lights out and deserted. I was ready to start cheering until, from the closed garage that was tucked under a wing of the house, I heard it. A car motor running as in suicide by carbon monoxide. Big double doors were locked, but around on the side there was a window. In another minute, I was in and over to Fred Sears. He was slumped over the front wheel, his face the color of wet ashes. I cut the motor, then dragged him out of the place by a back door that led to a patio. There I stretched him out on the ground and, and took a good look. A long look that left no doubt in my mind. I turned away from him when I heard a woman's footsteps on the walk outside near the window I'd broken. It was Mona Paxton. Marlo. 
Marlowe, what is it? Marlowe, are you all right? Yeah, but don't come back here, Mona. It's not a very pretty sight. It's Sears. Sears? Yeah, I dragged him out here. He left the motor running, carbon monoxide. Oh, oh no, what a... Just a terrible way to go. No worse than Vivian Barr. How'd you turn up here, Mona? Follow me? Yes. Because I was worried about that man in your apartment. I wanted to ask you who he was. When I took off coattail flying, it looked like something important, huh? Yes, it certainly did. And it certainly was. Yeah. Well, I'd better get through to the police now. There must be a phone inside. You go wait at my car, huh? Quit shaking. After this, you haven't got a thing to worry about. Uh, business, I mean. Yes, I know, but I... just can't start smiling. I'll be at the car, Marlon. Marlowe Matthews, out in Santa Monica, 31 Bayfront Drive. I've got Vivian Barr's killer. Fred Sears? Great. Just hold it, Phil Mooney. Hey, wait a minute. Call Santa Monica, Matthews. get a car out to 31 Bayfront you... Drive. Hey, path. Matthews. Hey, Marlo, nice work. I'm glad now, I let you Now, will you wait know. a minute, Matthews? It doesn't play that way. What? What do you mean, Phil? Not Sears? No. It's a woman, Mona Paxton. Sister to Douglas Paxton, a guy married and playing around with Vivian Barr. Mona killed Vivian because Vivian was blackmailing her brother and... That, in turn, was about to ruin a business deal that meant a lot to her. An awful lot. Yeah, it must have. Yeah. What about Sears? Does he still tie in? Sure he does. She found out where Sears was hiding, which is out here at the same time I did. But she got a head start on me at the point of a gun, set him up in a closed garage in what was supposed to be suicide. Oh. He's dead, huh? No, he's fine. I was lucky enough to get here in time. He's resting out on the patio, breathing well. See you, Matthews. Everything's taken care of, Marlowe? Mm-hmm. Just about, Mona. Well, the police will, uh... Correction. The police are here. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't take them long, does it, huh? No. I've a one him. Glad of it. Just as soon get all this over with. You too, I guess. Yeah. Me too, Mona. I got away from it all as soon as I could, but I didn't go home. I drove out to a spot I knew nearby, a cliff edge, where the only sounds were a couple of seagulls who couldn't sleep in the ocean a hundred feet below, crashing on the rocks. And then I took a second look at the little item Mud Pomeroy had picked up in Vivian Barr's apartment. A collection of tiny stones, diamonds, emeralds, rubies, all in the shape of a small mask. A mask that I knew would fit in place exactly over an empty spot on Mona Paxton's Mardi Gras brooch. The proof that Mona had been to Vivian's place. Yeah, a little mask. We all wear them one way or another. We've all got something to hide. Maybe that's what's wrong with people, huh? They all think they've got to hide from each other and from themselves. Yeah, so... I threw the little mask into the ocean, and then, then I went home. Hey, Marlo, what's the matter? 
The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Richard Senville and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Frances Robinson, Betty Lou Gerson, Anne Stone, Olin Soule, Jay Novello, and Larry Dubkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a little man with big heels tried to run over me. A giant in a warehouse nearly cost me my life. And a treacherous blonde almost buried me at sea. All that for a client who couldn't pay me a cent. <laughs> but on whose behalf they were paid in full. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, where you enjoy the contented hour every Sunday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. No matter what your favorite entertainment is, you'll always find it on the Maxwell House Showboat. The ticket of admission, as always, just your loyalty to Maxwell House Coffee. Tonight, guests of the showboat, I'd like to put on a little scene concerning something we've been talking about ever since hot weather began. The friendly stimulation of a tall, tinkling glass of iced Maxwell House coffee. As our curtain rises, we see a golfer step inside his front door at home. His wife calls to it. Well, dear, how was your game? Pretty hot day, wasn't it? Yeah, hot is right. And the game, just so-so as usual. Oh, goodness, Mary, I feel all in. Tired. Those last two holes took everything I had. Even the shower didn't seem to help much. I guess I'll just sit down in the easy chair and rest a bit. I thought you'd be feeling kind of low and played out, dear. Well, I'm repeating the wholesome little ceremony you liked so much last week. Yeah, what's that? Mm, the most refreshing drink there is. It'll boy you up all right. And afterwards, I'm sure you'll feel that your exercise was well worthwhile. Here you are. Yeah. Ice Maxwell House coffee, huh? Mm -hmm. <sighs> yeah, I tell you, Mary, this certainly does hit the spot. Certainly. And ladies and gentlemen, in golf and tennis clubs, around swimming pools, in the locker rooms of the baseball parks, at the beaches, wherever people are active this summer, you'll find a growing custom. People are drinking iced Maxwell House coffee. And you'll enjoy it too whenever you need refreshment. A cooling drink of iced Maxwell House coffee with its friendly stimulation that buoys you up and never lets you down. Johnny Dollar. This is Al Turner at New Britain Mutual. Hi, Al. What goes with you these days? Well, Johnny, one of our important clients is very anxious to get in touch with you. Says that she's an old friend of yours. Oh, who's that? Her name is Mrs. Virginia Haskell. Virginia Haskell? That's right. Uh, sorry, Al, but I'm afraid I never heard of her. Before she got married, about a year ago, her name was Van Doren. Ginny Van Doren? Yes. Oh, well, now that's something else again. And I mean something. Well, then you do know her. One of the most delectable bits of feminine pulchritude I ever ran up against. Believe me, a young man's fancy didn't have to wait for spring to turn to thoughts of her. Now, what's that mean? Oh, Al, even I had serious ideas about that gal at one time. Oh? Yeah, right after college. Isn't every kid of that age intrigued by the idea of marrying into a fortune? And very beautiful. 
At least she was when I knew her. Still is, Johnny. So she's married to somebody by the name of Haskell, huh? Gordon Haskell. They live on Birchbrook Road, down in Bronxville, New York. Funny. What? Well, when I knew her, that blonde charmer didn't have eyes for anybody but Paul Snowden. Who's Paul Snowden? Childhood sweetheart, that sort of thing. Poor boy, making good on his own, you know the bit. Too proud to marry her because of her money. But she swore that she'd never marry anybody else, that he was her one true love. But I, uh, I guess she changed her mind. What did she want to see me about, Al? She didn't say. She did make it clear, however, that it has to do with some of the family insurance. Well, that's as good an excuse as any. Well, then do you want to run on down there? For a longing look at the gorgeous Ginny Van Doren? But it'll cost you money, Al. <laughs> Listen, Johnny... With the premiums we get for all the insurance she carries, life, house, property, and so on, the sky's the limit. Brother, have you stuck your neck out? Well, now, that doesn't mean you have Albert, to... I'll be in touch. Bob Bailey, in the intriguing adventures of a man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, act one of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the New Britain Mutual Insurance Company Home Office, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the wayward heiress matter. I decided it might be handy to have my own car along for this one, so expense account item one, four dollars and a quarter for a tank full of gas. I picked up the freeway and headed south and west to fashionable Westchester County, New York. To me, Bronxville has always been one of New York's most charming suburbs. Only about 20 miles north of the big city, it's full of beautiful homes with lots of trees and expensive landscape properties. There's a lot of wealth in Bronxville. The Haskell home on Birchbrook Road was a huge English-type affair, built of stone and stucco, the kind of place that'll last 100 years. 18 or 20 rooms, I'd guess, and surrounded by well-kept lawns and flower gardens, oak and sycamore trees and neatly trimmed hedges. Yep, a big hunk of the Van Doren oil money must have gone into it, unless young Haskell was mighty rich. Virginia, looking every bit as beautiful as I'd remembered her from college back in the Midwest, greeted me like a long-lost, well, brother, darn it. And Johnny, I'm so glad you could come. I... I'm worried, sick. Worried about what, Jenny? Gordon, my husband. Well, uh, look, it's uh, none of my business, but it... Uh, well, it kind of surprised me to learn you'd married somebody other than Paul Snowden. It's Paul who has me worried, Johnny. Oh? Yes. How? Well, back in the old days in college, I wasn't interested in anybody in the world but Paul. I mean, seriously. Yeah, I remember. The rest of us couldn't get to first base with you. I loved him, Johnny. And I hoped that as soon as he could get established in a business of some kind, he'd ask me to marry him. Well, what stopped him, Jenny? Money. When Father died and all the Van Doren money came to me, Paul suddenly changed. He stopped seeing me. He even avoided me. So then, well, I guess what I did was 
make a mistake. What was that? I went to see him at his little plant there in Chicago. Chicago? That's where we were living then. And Johnny, the only reason he stayed there was to be close to me. So you went to see him? Yes. And I proposed to him. Oh? Also. Well, this was the big mistake. I offered to finance the machine tool business that he was trying so hard to build up. But he didn't like that and told me so. I'm afraid there was quite a scene there. You've just been looking office. down your nose at me all these years. It's been nothing but pity. Paul! Yeah, poor timid little me. Needs help. Maybe needs mothering by somebody who pities him. By somebody who can afford to support him. Paul, that isn't true. Then why do you come offering help, offering money? I don't want pity. Somebody holding up my head for me. I've got to work this out alone. It may take me a long time, but I'm not going to... Oh, I'm sorry, Jenny, but don't you see I love you? I'll never love anybody else. Then why don't you let don't me Don't you understand? I'll never get anywhere on your charity. You're feeling sorry for me. Oh, darling, please. All right. All right, the less we see of each other now, the better. Maybe sometime, but... Well, no, not now. Find somebody else, Jenny. Somebody who can give you the things you need and want. Uh-huh. A little too much pride for his own good, I'd say. It upset me terribly, Johnny. Especially when he told me to go out and find somebody else. But uh, I take it you did. Then Gordon came along. Sort of caught me on the rebound, I guess. Tall, good-looking. He fell in love with me the first time we ever met. I guess he kind of swept me off my feet. But now that the honeymoon's over... He's been wonderful to me. And I love Gordon, Johnny. I love him very much. As much as Paul? Not perhaps in the same way. But we're very happy together. And there's never been any strain or tension because of this, this difference in our fortunes. Gordon isn't wealthy either? Well... He hasn't what I have, of course. But he manages to get along. And I'm being a good wife to him. Oh, I'm sure you are, Jenny. And don't you see if Paul, because of his jealousy, <coughs> were to kill Gordon... Jenny, you mean you honestly believe he might? Yes. That's exactly what I mean. That's why I sent for but you. But good heavens, gal. Oh, Johnny, you've got to stop him. <laughs> Now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar and the Wayward Heiress Matter. All right, now, Jenny, listen to me. It's true, Johnny, I'm sure of it. Paul Snowden has come here to kill my husband. He's... He's told you as much. Haven't you been listening to me? Well, of course I have. Maybe my marriage to Gordon was on the rebound, on the spur of the moment. Call it anything you like, but it was Paul who turned me down. At least for the time being. I told you what he said. And simply because of a misguided sense of pride, because you had money and he didn't. Yes. Well, how did Paul take it when he learned that you were going to marry Gordon, I mean? He was terribly angry. He made all sorts of wild threats. Well, now, that doesn't necessarily... He said that he would kill anybody else who married me, and he will, Johnny. Does he know Gordon? He's never seen him. But he wants to kill him? Oh, Jenny, that doesn't make any sense. Don't you understand? It was to get away from Paul that Gordon and I came here to get married and settle down. Or because you were afraid you might still be in love with Paul. It isn't a very nice thing to say, Johnny. But it could be true, couldn't it? 
Is Gordon in business here in the East? Well, he... I've helped him to start one, Johnny. A little importing business. What did he do before? Jenny? Well, his family had quite a bit of money once. But they lost it all in some bad speculations. And... Well, if you must know, Gordon just sort of played around for a while. Did Paul know all this? I don't know. Because if he did... Maybe you shouldn't blame the poor, hard-working guy for not liking but him. But Gordon is good, and he's good to me. He's good to you. Seems to me you're the one you who You mustn't is... say that, Johnny. He is good to me. But he's all I have now. If only Paul hadn't found out where we've come to live. Oh, look, Jenny, I'm an insurance investigator, not a love counselor, and... Oh, what's the matter? Don't you believe me, all I've told you? Or are you just trying to be very cold-blooded about this? Jenny! All right, then. This happens to be a cold-blooded insurance matter. For the simple reason that Gordon's life is insured. And if you have no heart, if all you can think about is business, all right. It's your job to keep Paul from killing Gordon. Now, listen, Jenny. You've been married nearly a year. Nothing's happened. Nothing at all. Yet now, all of a sudden... Because Paul has come here, he telephoned me. And there can be only one reason why he's here. I doubt that. But where is he? In New York, at a hotel. What hotel? He didn't say. Well, is he coming out here to the house? He said he wouldn't come until he could be sure that Gordon was here. And then? Then to prepare for the worst. Those were his very words, Johnny. Prepare for the worst. Wasn't Gordon here when he phoned? Yes, but I didn't tell him that. Where's Gordon now? Over in Larchmont at the Beverly Arms. In hiding, in other words. I want him to stay there until something can be done about Paul, that's all. Well, if Paul's so all-fired determined... He is, Johnny. He always was. That could be a pretty admirable quality, Jenny. Of course it is. But when he's determined to do such a horrible... Johnny. Johnny, I don't understand you, the way you're taking all this. Are you going to help me or aren't you? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, Jenny, I'll see what I can do. If by any chance what you suspect is true, if Paul really has come here to get him... Of course he has. Paul doesn't give up, no matter what he set out to do. Which is to say that sooner or later, if you'd kept your head, if you hadn't gone off the deep end, if you had waited and married him, Jenny... Oh, I know. I should have. I should have waited for him, no matter how long it took and... Yeah? And what? No. Johnny, I didn't mean that. I'm married to Gordon now, and I must protect him. Okay, then. The first thing to do is get him over here. What? Sure. If Paul's staying undercover, it's the only way to bring him out in the open. But if anything happens to like Gordon... Like you say, it's my job to see that it doesn't. I'll see you later. Yeah, like I've said many times before, in this business of mine, you run into some real wildies, and this was one of them. Made me feel like an advice to the Loveshorn column. And it was pretty obvious that Ginny was still in love with Paul. That she was sorry she had married and was supporting this Gordon Haskell, who, incidentally, must have been a smart cookie to have caught her on the rebound, latched onto her and her fortune. But she'd made her bed, and by golly, out of nothing but stubborn pride, she was going to lie in it. It was well after dark by the time I left her, and as I walked out to my car, I decided that what I'd better do first was to locate Paul Snowden somewhere in some hotel in New York City. Find out what this whole crazy affair was really all about. But then as I reached for the door handle on my car... Just a minute. Huh? Yeah? I've been waiting for you. Oh? 
Who are you? As if I couldn't guess. Mister, I found out all about you. Why you came here. Me? Oh, well, if you don't minute. believe me, take a look at these photostats from the police files in half a dozen western states. Well, now, just, just take it easy. Let me put on the dash light so I can take a look at them. You'll have plenty of time to look at them when I'm through with you. Just Mr. I want to kill you. All right, now. You want some more? Johnny, what a mess going on out there. Huh? I saw him. Yeah, so I figured. He must have found out that I sent for you. Why, if I hadn't come out of the house to see what the noise was all about, he might... Don't you see, Johnny? Don't you believe me now when I say he's come here to kill Gordon? Uh, Jenny, I guess if you didn't convince me, Paul has. <laughs> of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. I went back into the house with Ginny's help, and a good stiff drink plus her tender menstruations brought me back to normal. I suppose I could make all sorts of excuses about having been caught off guard, but I won't. Paul Snowden had a good pair of fists, and he knew how to use them. My plan had been to call on the New York City police for help in locating Paul, but now this had suddenly become a personal matter. And yet... Wait a minute. Ginny. Yes, Johnny. Are you feeling... Listen, all... didn't you tell me that Paul and your husband Gordon didn't know each other, had never met? Yes. What about those papers, the photostats? Papers? Photos... And we've been thinking that Paul jumped me because he'd found out you'd called me in to protect Gordon. Of course. Well, it just happens we were wrong. Oh, Johnny, I don't understand. Listen, I'll be right back. But, Johnny, he may still be out there somewhere. I wouldn't be at all surprised. Well, but, Johnny, don't you... I found no sign of Paul or the papers he'd shoved at me. But I was certain that he was still in the neighborhood, waiting. But not for me. I jumped into my car, drove away, then circled around the block, parked, and sneaked into the house the back way. Johnny! I thought it was Gordon coming in this back door. I phoned him that Paul had been here. Yeah? What'd he say? Only that until Paul is taken care of, he'd better get out of town. But, Johnny, that's such a... Oh, great. And yet... If he plans on being away for any length of time. Excuse me a minute. Yeah, there was a chance, a bare chance, that this whole thing could come to a head very quickly, with a bit of luck. I opened the front door, then called out into the darkness beyond the porch. Paul? Paul Snowden? This is Johnny Dollar. If you're out there, stick around. Now listen, I'm leaving this front door unlocked, so use your own judgment. I went back into the library. Standing there with Ginny was a man, a few years older, slightly gray around the temples. He had a worried, furtive look about his eyes. He was momentarily startled when I walked in on him. Johnny. Gordon, this is Johnny Dollar. 
Hiya, Gordon. He sneaked in the back way, John. And I'm not staying around to get killed. Now, listen, Virginia. Gordon, it'll be all right now. No, I don't know who Dollar is or why you've called him in. But I'm not staying around here with Paul Snowden gunning for me. You're afraid of him, Gordon? Wouldn't you be? Come on, Virginia. Open up the safe. You've got plenty of money in it, I know. But look, darling... Come on, get it for me. Give it to me. to run away like this... Oh, because Paul wouldn't run away. You know that isn't what I... Give me the money, Virginia. Or do you want a dead husband on your hands? Well... Now, listen, Gordon. You listen. This is none of your business. I wouldn't be too sure of that. Well, I am, Virginia. Now, just a minute. Will you keep out of this? No. Oh, yes, you will. See what I mean? Gordon, that gun, you... Give me that money so I can save my life. Put that thing down, Gordon. Stand back, Dollar. I'll pull this trigger. Brother, that's what you think. Yes? Oh, I'll kill you. Oh. Oh, thanks, Paul. Oh. Oh. I ain't low, Dollar. I'm afraid he'll live. Yeah, he'll be okay. Should have killed him, I guess. But I'd rather see him face the courts. Oh, what are you talking about? Those photostats you have? Yeah. Police files all over the West. He has a record as long as your arm, under various names. Wealthy women married them, took their money. Oh, no. Yes, Jenny. And some of them... Well, he killed them. Paul, I didn't know. I, uh... I didn't know. I'm sorry, Dollar, about what happened outside earlier, but in the darkness, I thought you were Gordon. It's uh, okay, Paul. You've uh, more than made up for it. Well, maybe Paul and Jenny will finally get together for keeps. I don't know. I don't even know whether I care. I'm just glad I wasn't involved. That is, any more than I was. Expense account total, including mileage of my car back to Hartford, a lousy ten bucks. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Our star will return in just a moment. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a sweet little old lady... Involved in one of the dirtiest rackets I know. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is written, produced, and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Les Tremaine, Sam Edwards, and James McCallion. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Dan Coverly speaking. <laughs>